Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest uh, is the person we turn to very often for the very best information on where North Carolina stands in the area of educating our youngsters. And uh, her name, of course, is Brenda Berg, as we've introduced her prior in the prior segments. She's the uh, president and CEO of this wonderful organization called Best NC. To reintroduce uh, the organization, it's a group of uh, uh, about 100 business leaders across the state that are, are interested in making education in North Carolina the best in the nation. I think what we found out is that industry and business leaders realize how important education is. And so they are, generally speaking, extremely supportive of the educational uh, needs of our state. And uh, they're always pushing for uh, the things that will make our system better. And one of the things they did was form this organization to do some research. And Brenda Berg, who's the president, is the person who is doing all that research. Well, we want to talk a little bit about the importance of principles, because one of the things that you pointed out, and I have seen this myself time and time again, that when you see an outstanding school, very often it follows that there's an outstanding principle of that school. Teachers seem to be interested in working with principals who are sharp and are interested and innovative in many cases. And uh, that same principal can leave a school and go to one that's in trouble. And sure enough, short time later, that school's turning around. So principals okay. are very, very important to the school system. Where do we stand, Brenda, in, in our principal situation? That's, uh, you, you said it so well. When I, I'll have people call me and say, hey, I'm, I'm, we're trying to decide between this house and this house next to these two schools. And my kid's, you know, four years old, and these are the two high schools that they'll be going to. I say, you don't know how that school is going to perform because you don't know who the principal will be when you get there, right? The, the temperature of a school can change in one year based on, on a principal. Teachers um, will, will come and go on the, on the quality of the principal. So we've really leaned in as an organization, and, and, and you mentioned that we do a lot of research. I'm going to shout out to my team. Um, the business community invested in Best MC because they wanted to make sure we had great data and research behind everything that we're advocating for. We're not sort of doing this on the fly. Um, and so if anyone's interested in that data, they can find it at bestmc.org. Um, you'll also find a lot of information about where we have leaned in on principles. Um, they're so critically important. And we've looked at um, and focused on a couple of different elements of principles. The first is, do we have the right principles? Uh, we have a new initiative over the last couple of years that's now it's called the Principal Fellows Program, um, and it's per, it's now producing about 40% of the principals in the state, and it's it's completely reimagining who is getting recruited to become these critical school leaders. Um, how are they being prepared, and are they being prepared specifically to go into high need schools? Are we getting the principals prepared to do the work that really needs to be done most? So I'm really proud of that work. Um, Second thing we did is we also looked at principal pay. North Carolina had the lowest principal pay in the nation four years ago, five years ago. And now um, with a big push from the business community, we had the largest investment in principal pay in the history of North Carolina. And we are now third in the Southeast, um, just a bit behind Virginia and Georgia. So we're gonna push a little bit harder <laughs> to, to beat them out. But it's also a, the new principal pay model will also compensate principals for going to the schools where they're needed most. 
So there's all sorts of opportunities now for uh, a really outstanding principal to go to a school where they're needed most. And then the third thing that we we focused on is, you know, what is the responsibility of a principal? I think back in the day, you had a very limited scope, but now between social media and the principals, the sort of the the, the spokesperson of the community, and we're expecting our principals to also basically prepare all the teachers in the school building. So the the, the scope of their responsibility has gotten kind of out of hand. Um, and so we're working, there are about 15 school districts in the state that are now working on a model called advanced teaching roles, where teachers are actually teaching each other um, and working much more collaboratively and relieving some of that instructional leadership responsibility from principals. It's a little wonky, but all of those things matter, right? Any single one of those aspects are good to have, the right people, the right compensation, the right experience in the building, but it's really important that we're looking at, at all three of those um, aspects of the, the principalship. Well, principals, of course, are basically managers, and we found in business that very often someone who is really good at, uh, well, let's just say a advertising salesperson, a, a great advertising salesperson <laughs> does not necessarily make a great uh, sales manager. That's right. Uh, is this the case with principals and teachers? Uh, and how does a teacher decide or a person decide, hey, I'd rather be a principal than a teacher. That's right. Well, that's such a good point. So you're absolutely right. Not everyone is really set out to be a principal. And in the past, the only option a teacher had if they wanted to move up, because teachers are passionate about their job, right? They want to help children. And, and more often than not, a teacher wants to become a principal because they want to have a greater impact on more children. And that's fantastic. The problem is that shouldn't be their only option. We shouldn't have their only option be, you're a great teacher, so now leave the classroom and run the building. Um, with advanced teaching roles, we've now created uh, several pathways where a teacher can maybe just take on more students and get actually paid for it instead of just doing it out of the kindness of their heart or become an instructional leader for other teachers, again, without taking all the administrative responsibilities of the building. And that lets the principal focus on, on the, the work at hand with running the building and staffing and, and all of that. So you're right, I think we need to have a much more nuanced in, in the past, it's sort of been teacher or principal, and those are your only two options. Uh, we need to put more options in, in front of them. And it's, it is, it, it's, an, it's an important, it's a critically important strategy for our state. If we did nothing else um, but impact the principals in the state of North Carolina, um, we'll, we'll be doing we'll be doing well. The one thing I think we don't do well in in North Carolina, and and this is true for a lot of states, is we don't empower the principals with the budget. So imagine if you, for example, you went to one of your managers and said you can have you know, X number of employees and no flexibility on whether they maybe had fewer, but they pay them more or more, but they pay them less or different, you know, different um, choices to be made. Our principals are really not empowered with that flexibility. And that's something that I'd, I'd like to see us investigate in the future is how can we make more decisions about students' resources at the school level? There's not one principal who would deny school supplies, for example, right, within their school building, if they if they knew that that was the most important factor. I've, I talked with a principal recently who was, he said, you know, just a couple thousand dollars and we could hire a, a janitor. We've been struggling to hire a janitor. And I, I looked at his budget, his operating budget is $9 million a year. 
So can't you find any money? Nope, I have no flexibility within that money. If you think about one thing that affects the well-being of the students and safety, right, and the well-being of, of your teachers within the school building, to have a principal tell me that they can't even find a couple thousand dollars within their $9 million budget to do something so important, it's, it's kind of, it's heartbreaking and frankly, it's unprofessional. I have to tell you a story about my situation. Uh, when I was in high school, there was this uh, one particular student, and she may be listening, so I have to be careful not to mention her name, but uh, she was obviously very, very smart. I started with her in the first grade and went all the way through school with her. Very, very smart. And I think she actually got bored in school, and so she was constantly in trouble. One, innocent things, I mean, just, but, but she was always in trouble. She, uh, anyway, Fast forward 30 years later, we go back to our first high school reunion, and I hadn't seen her during that period of time, so I walked up to her and said, you know, you were so smart in high school, I, I want to know what you did. She said, you won't believe it. I said, what is it? She said, I'm a high school principal. I said, <laughs> what? But I spent so much time in the principal's office, I just got used to it. <laughs> but, uh, what she did say was, she said it was so beneficial. She said, "We, I will have a student in uh, that is, um, it, it, it have, uh, teachers referred to me for a discipline problem, and they'll start off telling a story and say, wait a minute, let me finish this story. I know the rest of this right. story. Right. But uh, right. anyway, I thought it was interesting. And, but uh, I'm sure she, and she was and won several awards as being an outstanding principal. So they come from all walks of life. I hear so, that from uh, teachers as well, that, you know, that if you if you had to have grit, right, that you, you didn't do so well in high school, but you really had grit and persevered, you know, or something clicked after high school. I hear all the time that our, some of our best teachers, you know, they, they feel like that grit, that that understanding of where those kids are coming from is, has really helped them be, be outstanding teachers. We don't seem to hear quite as much about discipline in the schools as we seemingly heard maybe four or five years ago. Is discipline basically a a problem that we have made some progress on? You know, I, I I still hear a lot. I mean, I think with not being in the building much for the last you know year and a half, we're, we're not hearing so much, but I do hear a lot from teachers, their, their concerns about discipline and, and kind of the inconsistencies of where they, what they can and cannot do from school to school. And again, that comes down to principal leadership a lot of the time. Um, and so, you know, discipline um, and and positive behavioral modification is one of the, the, the terms that's out there. I think schools are really looking for ways to really help students instead of punish students. And that's, that's a good thing. So I do think we're seeing some progress, but it is something that we hear from teachers a lot that if they don't have those kind of those those outlets or their positive supports, finding that balance between a student who's really disrupting the room um, you don't really want to send them home because that's going to, they're just going to sit at home or, or be out on the streets, but you really want them in the classroom disrupting the, the classroom. So there's still a lot of conversation about that. Um, and there's, you know, some disproportionality in, in particularly low-income kids and, and students of color being disciplined differently um, from their from their peers. So, you know, what what's that about? Is that coming from their experiences at home is that coming from perceptions of the teachers? So I think there's some really important and difficult conversations being had around discipline, but um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that we can have some of those, continue to have those, those conversations and make progress. 
athletics very much in the news, uh, especially on the college level with the new court ruling on name, image, and likeness. And uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, this is going to be a problem. I don't, I don't know how they can differentiate between a college student and a high school student as far as income from name, image, and likeness. Uh, how, how do you think this will turn out on the high school level? This is definitely not in my wheelhouse, but I am hearing the same thing. I have a, a college athlete, um, high schooler, and, and we're hearing that, that all that's going to push down. And, and to some extent with social media, I mean, high school students are making money off their image all the time. Um, so now extending that to athletes, I, I think we'll see it happen. Um, it's, it's going to be the Wild West for a while, I'm sure. There's a lot of money out there in, in social media. Again, athletes are not athletes. Well, it's, uh, it's, of course, there's so many questions about it uh, that uh, if anything was disrupted by COVID-19, the athletic uh, programs yeah. of most high school was most affected. Uh, and uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how we crank back up and get the athletic programs going again. Um, in the next segment, we want to talk about uh, parental involvement in schools and how parents can work with educators to improve the situations. I want to touch a little bit, if you will, uh, and be thinking about this on charter schools, because I, for one, am still not sure that I fully understand where charter schools fit in and, and how we gauge whether they're successful or not. And then, of course, the final thing we want to talk about in the last segment of the program is any legislation that is uh, uh, on the uh, agenda, either at the state level the North Carolina General Assembly, or on the national level at the uh, Congress. Uh, and we'll do all of that when we return with our guest, Brenda Berg, who's the president and CEO of Best North Carolina, Best NC. We'll be back right after these messages. As an 18-year-old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was 0.5 credits away from completing high school, and I didn't do it. Ten years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing. The educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. But I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking you questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry, I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back with the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Brenda Bird is our guest. She's the president and CEO of BestNC.com. Oh, and by the way, we're going to give you that uh, email address or the website address, bestnc.org. Uh, this is an organization that uh, 
It's uh, funded and uh, organized by some 100 business leaders across the state. And their focus is on making education in North Carolina the best in the nation. We've left a number of things to this last segment. One of them I want to talk about because something I've sort of observed in my long time. I'm almost as old as dirt now, Brenda, so you can understand this. This comes from a long experience. The schools that seem to do well usually have very interested parents. Uh, How do we get more parental involvement in a way that's positive and helps the school system rather than just being critical and being a part of the problem, not the solution? We always say that the the biggest in-school factor for student achievement is the teacher. And the reason we have that in-school qualifier is that the biggest factor by far above all else on student achievement is their parental involvement. So you're absolutely right. There's a huge correlation between parental involvement and it, it actually mitigates almost anything else in terms of if you have a you know low income student with strong parental involvement, they can really they it can do a lot to to make sure those students are, are career and college ready. Um, how how can we increase it? I I think there's a there's a whole science behind behind this. I I actually go to how do they feel welcomed? We have a lot of families who, when they were kids and they were in school, they didn't feel welcome in school. They had a bad experience and they don't want to come into the school building. Um, we have immigrants who don't feel welcome um, for various reasons. And, and so preparing our principals and our teachers to really think of parents as part of the solution and really welcoming them into the school building is important. And it, it's hard because we also have, you know, we also have parents who are asking teachers to change grades or to not discipline their children. And so there's that tension between parents acting as good stewards um, and and teachers and principals kind of being ready to welcome them. So there's a lot, there's a lot there. I think it's actually gotten sort of, you know, we have the the phrase, the Karens of the world. I think it's gotten harder at all levels to engage parents and, and more important than ever before. Um, so I just encourage families to to always be involved in their their students' um, uh, academics, both in encouraging them to go to the to the best classes that they can and and pursue the 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 best opportunities within their school buildings and support them on getting their homework done. But there there's also a line where you know again teachers are professionals, and at some point we need to to definitely be trusting their judgment on on what's happening within their classrooms. Let's talk a little bit about charter schools. This is, uh, I guess, basically charter schools came from a uh, interest in experimentation. How are our charter schools doing? What do you see as the future of charter schools? Yes, well, that's, it is, it, charter schools stem from the idea of giving schools and parents choice, right? And giving them more options. We have about 200 charter schools in North Carolina. That's a, an increase over the last several years from we had a cap on how many charter schools you could have. There are about 100 and, I think about 120,000 charter school students. And, and if you mentioned, uh, we talked earlier in a different segment on homeschooling. We have about, well, we had 150,000 homeschool students last year and this year it surged to about 180,000 just to give some context. Um, in North Carolina, the charter schools tend to be more in urban areas. They tend to be, um, um, more more segregated than our traditional schools. They tend to be either more white or more black, um, more higher income or more lower lower income sort of sequestered within that school. 
Um, not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing, um, particularly. We have some really high poverty schools that are doing extraordinarily well. Um, we have in Henderson Collegiate is a charter school that's you know, targeting the local community. I think it's an 86% poverty rate. And those students are knocking it out of the park in terms of academics and, and college going rates. Um, so, you know, our charter schools can be pockets of innovation. Um, and um, again, they're, they're, they're here to stay. Parents really like those choices. I think one thing we hear, and, and this is the same with what, what's called opportunity scholarships, which are scholarships for particularly low, low income families to go to private schools. Um, we're, what we're hearing from those families is, you know, their, their child might be in a school with a 5% proficiency rate. And because of their income level, they don't have the choices that higher income families have. And so there's a real, whether or not we have found the right solution um, and whether or not there's enough accountability, which is my concern with, with um, scholarships, um, parents who want to be involved are, are begging for, for options. Um, if their if their local school is just not doing working well for their for their children. Now most charter schools are private schools, but there is a difference between private schools and charter schools, and a lot of people I think get that those two sort of mixed in the same bag. Basically, uh, as I said, there I guess most charter schools are private schools, but basically there are also a lot of private schools that function very much like public schools, only they are. Uh, have a paid faculty and, and paid uh, tuition? So charter schools are 100%, well, I shouldn't say they can also raise extra funds, but charter schools are more like traditional schools than private schools. They're, they have the flexibility of private schools. They can hire um, differently from traditional schools, um, but they have exactly the same accountability as our traditional schools. So if you go to uh, the Department of Public Instruction's website, you can pull up the same exact report card on a charter school that you can pull up on a traditional school. Private schools don't have that accountability. You can't find that data on private schools. And of course, private schools can at carte blanche, you know, hire who they want, pay, pay what they want, cover the curriculum that they want. Um, Charter schools still have to take the same final exams, follow the same standards as, as traditional schools. So they're in some ways they're they're administrative, administratively closer to private schools that they have more flexibility, but they are um, in terms of, of what they what they teach and how many hours and or how many days in the year and so on are, are much closer to traditional schools and their accountability. The other thing we said we would turn to in this segment, this last segment of our session with Brenda Berg, is legislation that is either on the agenda and being considered by the General Assembly or by the Congress. Uh, what are you watching and what do you think uh, uh, needs to be uh, on your agenda at the top of the list of things that you'd like to see happen? Oh, well, I'd like to see happen. Um, we're definitely focusing on teacher recruitment as a top priority. I talked about in another segment, advanced teaching roles, expanding those opportunities for teachers to have career pathways. Those are things that we're working on, but I'm keeping an eye on uh, the, the massive surplus of funding that North Carolina has. We've really accrued a, a pretty big surplus in North Carolina on top of the fact that we have COVID money. So there's a real money grab right now and, um, and making sure that those funds are spent wisely, um, that we're investing in long-term investments. Uh, for example, I'd like to see us move away from what we have at the end of 
every school year we have these bubble tests that take hours and hours for kids to complete. I'd like to see us move toward a more competency-based model where at any given point in time, we know which kids can add and which can multiply and who needs what in terms of their learning. So we're seeing um, the Department of Public Instruction and the state superintendent and and somewhat in so far in the Senate budget and the the governor's budget investments into these kind of long-term changes um, and these long-term investments. I'm I'm hopeful about some of that, some of those investments. Um, On the other hand, um, teacher pay, I think is going to be the, the issue where we have the most friction we have the governor's budget that came out with a 5%, I think 5% year over year investment in teacher pay. The Senate budget came in at one and a half percent year over year. We expect the house to come in with something in the middle. Uh, and just to give you a couple of, of, of facts on that, we are behind Virginia and Georgia on teacher pay on average. If you're looking at the Southeast, um, our starting teacher pay went to $35,000 about five years ago and has not increased. Um, and because of a budget stalemate two years ago, our teachers haven't had a pay increase for two years. So there's a lot of, of, of reasons to invest in teacher pay this year. Um, the Senate, in addition to the, the pay increases, are looking at, I believe it's a $1,500 bonus, which I think is a, a really good way to use um, surplus funds for teachers who haven't had a pay increase in two years. Um, but there's also some conversation about, you know, rethinking how do we pay teachers? Um, you know, if you have an extraordinary teacher who's who's really truly effective five years into their career, why should they have to wait 15 years to get to the top of the pay schedule? So I'm hopeful that this year they make some wise investments in teacher pay, and then really look toward next year and, and the subsequent years to to think differently about teacher pay. How do we attract more STEM teachers? You know, if you come out of a UNC system school right now, you make easily $10,000 more as a math major than a liberal arts major or an English major. So why aren't we considering paying our math teachers more so we can pull them out of that that pipeline? Um, so I think teacher pay is going to continue to be a, a conversation, and I'm, I'm hopeful that we can get a little bit more more creative um, on those those conversations. But those are those are sort of the when we talk about the budget negotiations over the next couple of months, I think those are the topics that we're going to be seeing the most. I think teacher pay is going to be the big one. Brenda, we've got about a minute and a half left and we've gone this entire program without talking about our world class community college system and how it uh, what the role it plays in uh, in the educational process as well as the UNC system, which again is recognized across the country as one of the best. Uh, you might want to just mention how this folds into your work at Best NC. Well, the community colleges are extraordinary in North Carolina. We have 58 of them that almost everyone's within half an hour of a community college system. I'm so happy to share with you, this is actually since the last time we talked, but the community colleges are now offering official two plus two programs to become a teacher. So you can, and there's a brand new articulation agreement between the community colleges and the four-year institutions. So somebody who wants to get into teaching can do their first two years at a community college and then transfer straight into a UNC system school to become a teacher. And and the community colleges are now looking to provide, we talked earlier about residency or lateral entry teachers. They need that, that word pedagogy. They need some training on how to become a teacher. And the community colleges are now working on ways to provide those, those 
um, candidates who already have a four-year college degree that extra effort, extra information they need on how to be a great teacher in the classroom. We call that post-baccalaureate training. So the community colleges um, in, in every industry are stepping up and they're just an incredible resource, but I'm extremely excited about what they're doing for, for the teacher pipeline and, and excited to see how that continues to roll forward in the next couple of years. They're, they're a great partner for our work, but they're just a, a, an incredibly important part of our, for our economy, a force for our economy in North Carolina. Linda, thank you so much for sharing with us. If you'd like more information about the work of this organization, you can go online to bestnc.org, bestnc.org, and find out a great deal more. Our program has been produced by Jason Kong, and if you'd like to hear a repeat of the broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that. Jason will have another guest for us again next week on the same group of stations. So until next week, same time, same station, have a good week. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.